0: You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. Good morning, church. Um, It's nice to see everyone's face this morning. We're going to go back into the book of Luke, um, as we've been following for the past uh, few weeks. I'm going to quickly talk about um, so just sort of context of what the, the particular chapter we're looking at Which is uh, Luke chapter 3 is And then uh, we're going to go into the meat of the actual uh, message today Which is on repentance that bears fruit That's the um, the heart of what we're talking about today um, I'm just going to go through Luke 1 to 17 And then we'll we'll dive into that so we can open our, our Bibles if we've got one. I believe if not, we will have it projected on the screen, um, the particular verses that we'll be reading. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, being governor of Judea, and Herod, being tetrach of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrach of the region, ituria Traconitis, Licinius, tetrach of Abilene, during the high pursuit of Annas and Caiaphas, The word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness, and he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet. The voice of the one in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain shall be made low and the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance and do not begin to say to yourselves, we are Abraham, we have Abraham as our father. "'For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. "'Even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees, "'and every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire.' "'And the crowds asked him, "'What then shall we do?' "'And he answered them, "'Whoever has two tunics is to share one with him who has none, "'and whoever has food is to do likewise.' tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusations, and be content with your wages. As the people were in expectation, and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ. John answered them all, saying, I baptize you with water. But he who is mightier than I is coming. The strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winning fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you because you speak your own word for our good. We pray, Lord, that you will open our hearts today to see that it is for our good. Help us to humble ourselves today to this word, both the speaker and the listener. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, we're looking at the third chapter of the book of Luke, and from the chapter two to chapter three, about a 20-odd year period had passed, and John the Baptist is a grown man, and Jesus Christ is a grown man. They're about the age of 30. And uh, this period in, in the Jewish history, uh, they were essentially, as was listed by Luke, who was very meticulous in listing all the leaders in the particular area. Um, they were being ruled by um, many foreigners, as it were. Um, you know, the, the Romans were not locals, and many of them felt like second-class citizens. And uh, there's just been a change of power with Pontius Pilate coming in um, under the rule of, of Tiberius Caesar. And so there was a lot of tension, there was a lot of political tension at that time. And you could see that through the life of Jesus Christ. Even one of his disciples was a, was a zealot. You know, the, the zealot movement was beginning there. There was a lot of tension, a lot of angst there. And there was a lot of expectation. And you could see that. Uh, in the in the passage where it says to them, and, and they, well, I'm just going to pick out the passage in verses 15 where it says, As the people were in expectation and were all questioning their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ. Now in Jewish understanding, um, and there is biblical precedence for this, um, when the persecution of the, the Jewish people gets um, severe, then the Messiah will show up and he will save them from their enemies. And We have to appreciate the fact that there has been prophetical silence for about a period of 400 years in the Jewish um, nation. So from the last prophet of the Old Testament to to the coming of Christ, it was a period of 400 years. And so John's message was electrifying and people were sort of in anticipation and thinking and in expectation thinking, is this it? Is this, the, is this the one? Is this the Messiah? Is it a time when we'll be freed of our shackles and we'll become our own prosperous people and we'll be ruled by our Messiah? And so this was what was going on in the hearts and in the minds of the people at the time. Now, there is a, uh, a particular sort of picture we have in our mind um, as modern day 21st century Christians, which is we look at John the Baptist and we think, yeah, he prepared the way of the Lord. He was the prophet that was to come and prepare the coming of Jesus Christ and sort of um, like a, um, an usher, make an announcement of Jesus Christ coming um, to, the, to the world. And we see him as kind of separate in his ministry from the ministry that Jesus Christ brought, at least in the, in the message, because John preached baptism um, of repentance. That was his work. That was what we knew him as, John the Baptist. And his baptism was baptism um, of repentance. And repentance for the forgiveness of sin, as it says in, in Luke uh, chapter 3. And he went into all the regions around Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. So we tend to say, well, that was what, you know, John did. And that's different from what Christ came to do. But if we turn to Luke 24, which is... You know, in the same book, and this is towards now the end of Jesus' ministry on earth, after he um, was just before he was about to ascend into heaven and after he was raised from the dead, and he was explaining things to his disciples. And he said to them, If we, if we read from, uh, we read open Luke 24 and we read from forty-four, verse 44, he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me. In the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must must be fulfilled. Then you open your minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day should rise from the dead, and that repentance and the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. It's an interesting point that if we go through the Gospels of Mark, uh, Matthew, um, John, they talk about, you know, proclaiming the gospel to the world. It's only in Luke we actually get a content of what that gospel is. If you go and examine your scriptures, they don't actually talk about sort of what the content of the gospel message is. But it's what Christ just said here. The preaching of repentance and the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed throughout the entire world. It's not different from what John the Baptist was preaching. Repentance for the forgiveness of sin. So this is a very core core message to the gospel. It's not a... An appendage. It's not a a sort of an an extra bit. This is this is this is what we are called to. We are called to faith in Christ for the purpose of repenting from our sins. And we'll go into what it means to repent because it's not a a very prominent English um, word. It tends to be a word that we use um, sort of in sort of religious. And theological settings not in everyday sort of settings so we'll flesh that out today and understand what does it what does this word repentance mean so the first thing we'll look at is the nature of repentance in second corinthians chapter 7 verses 10 paul writes to the corinthians after he had after he had sort of verbally spoken um, to them about a particular sin that they were harboring in themselves. And then they were feeling quite broken about this. And he, he wrote a second letter, which is the second um, letter to the Corinthians. And then he basically addresses the sorrow and the grief they were feeling over the sin they had committed or they had allowed to carry on in their midst. And he wrote, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So Paul says that godly grief produces repentance. Worldly grief produces death. So when we examine what repentance is, there is grief. There is an element of grief in repentance. There's an element of sorrow in repentance. But there's a sorrow that leads to salvation, and there is a sorrow that leads to death. And it's very important to understand that Godly repentance always leads to salvation. That is the purpose of godly repentance. It's not so that we can feel sorry for ourselves or make ourselves look, you know, worries me, I'm such a bad person, and look how much I mourn. You know, I'm such a mourning, sorrowful person, and look how sad my face looks. It's not about how sorrowful we are. It's ultimately to be saved for salvation. Another way to put this is that godly repentance is the mark of a saved person. See, if someone says, I'm saved, I've I've been saved by Christ, and and I'm I'm living for Christ, the way you'll know that is when you see godly repentance in that person's life, all throughout the course of that person's life. What godly repentance, as I've just said, is, is not feeling sorry for oneself. It's not feeling sorry that one's sin has been exposed. Because sometimes, you know, when people are, are guilty or feel sorry about something, it's because they've been caught out. That's not what repentance is. Repentance itself is not, it's not even guilt over sin. That itself is not repentance. It can be a step towards full repentance, but that guilt itself is not repentance. Three facets to complete and genuine repentance. And the first is that genuine repentance stems out of sorrow that comes from the acknowledgement that one has sinned against our holy God. That's always the first place. Has to be the first place. It is not about, oh, I've, I've, I've done something that has damaged myself. That's, that's not what repentance is. Repentance is ultimately, I have sinned against God. And one of the best examples of this in scriptures was when King David um, basically was caught. Well, he, he committed adultery um, with a woman who was married to one of his top soldiers. And then, when he found out that she was pregnant with his child, he arranged to have this faithful, loyal soldier killed. And so he committed adultery and he committed murder. And when he was confronted with his sin, uh, you know, he he doesn't turn around to the family of his his faithful soldier, Uriah, or to Bathsheba and and, and apologize to them. The first thing he says, against you and you, O God, have I sinned? It's a very interesting um, thing. If you're in a court of law and you've been charged for, for murder, you don't, you don't you know, turn away from the judge and then look up against you, O oh God, and you, oh God, have I sinned. People say, oh, he's got no regard for the people. He's got no regard for the life he's just destroyed. But the, the reality is that our sin ultimately is against God. He is, he is the one that is sovereign. We live in his world. We live in his universe. And so we have to start from that point of view that our sin is against God. And secondly, genuine repentance leads us to confess and acknowledge our specific wrong. We, we live in a society where people, and when they do something wrong, they kind of give this what I call a non-apology apology. I'm, I'm sorry if I've ever offended you, if you've ever felt somehow wrong about something that I might have said. That's That's ambiguity. Genuine repentance is very clear. It's very specific. This is a particular sin that I've sinned in my life. This is a, a a particular thing that I have done. It's a particular person that I have wronged. This is a particular thing I have taken. I don't know I've taken. That genuine repentance has to be specific. It has to acknowledge a particular wrong. Prophet Isaiah, when he when he had a vision of God in Isaiah chapter six, he saw God exalted on His throne. And there was this seraphims and and angels, you know, just calling out holy, holy, holy. And he was just awestruck by this vision of God. And his response, his first response is, Whoa is me. I am a man of unclean lips. And I thought, what a what a nice guy Isaiah must have been. Of all the things that he could say that he'd done wrong, unclean lips, I'd probably put that down as you know, you could get a pass on that, Isaiah. But when he saw God, he he saw his sin, he saw what he was guilty of, and he acknowledged that. Genuine repentance must always cause us to acknowledge our particular wrong, specific sin. Finally, genuine repentance results in us turning away from anti-godly actions and turning to godly actions. It must result in obedience to God's command, and it must result in a reformation of our thoughts. Now, the word repentance—it's not—I I struggle with that word myself because um, I, I don't know how to break the word down, the, the etymology, the, the roots of the word. I struggle with it. But if we go back to the old Greek, the, the Greek in which this, the New Testament was written, repentance is the, known as the word metanoia, um, and, and it essentially means afterthought or a change of thoughts. And that helps me to understand. That gives you a a, a deeper understanding of what repentance is. Repentance is not so much the physical action of a thing. It's not so much, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. It's more of a change your thinking. And when your thinking is changed, then you will do the right things. That's what repentance is. So when we think about repentance, it's change your thinking. Change the the very heart's the core of your being, the, the, the way you look at the world, the way you look at God, change that. In my language, it's, um, you know, it, it's, it, it's very helpful, actually, in my language, um, the word repentance, because it, it means thinking that leads to change of thought and character. It, that, that's so helpful. If I, if I say the word repentance, I don't, I don't really, I, you know, repentance, I know what that word means because I've you know, learned what that word means. Or when you say it in my language, or maybe even in old Greek, it actually means thinking that leads to change of character and habits. That's what repentance must be. It's, it's, a, it's not a one-off thing. It's a thing of action. It's not just a, oh, I acknowledge that I have wronged someone or I feel guilty. Then there has to be a change first in the mind, and that leads to an outward change in our, in our actions. Repentance cannot be partial. We can't say, well, you know, I've repented in one, two, three, five, six, seven, eight, nine, but I'll keep 10 for myself. Repentance has to be complete and total. In the same way, we see a, a marathon runner sort of stumble and then pick themselves up and then continue running the race. A marathon runner is never disqualified as long as they cross the line, they're never disqualified for stumbling. Notice that. They're never disqualified for tripping up on themselves and stumbling. Never, no one ever disqualifies them. But if a marathon runner falls down and you know, dusts themselves off and then walk off the track, then there is a DNF, there is a did not finish sign next to them. Why? Because they stopped running the race. Repentance is a, is a progressive thing, is a continual thing. It's not a static thing. It's a moving thing, a daily thing. That's the nature of repentance. Now, John the Baptist was a, a very interesting character. The way he spoke to people, you know, um, he called them "you brutal vipers." It's a very interesting way to um, acknowledge your audience. But maybe that was how they talked to each other back in those days. I, I think I think that goes down to to something, which is that you know we we have a, a, a thinking in our in our society today that um we're good people we're generally good people you hear that i I, I hear that I was I was listening to I was listening to uh, an ecologist earlier this week, and he was saying you know I, I believe human beings are generally good, but I, John Baptist does not have that view about human beings. he called us brutal vipers and i th- I think is what is relating to is a, a one of the psalms of David where he says that um you know no one is Righteous, no, not one. They've all gone their ways. And it says their tongues are like the, the wisps of, of, of vipers. They're like the tongues of vipers. What, what does that mean? It means that, you know, in, 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 in what we do in our lives, we, you know, we, words we say, the things we do, the actions we do, we, we, we are like vipers. We've got, we've got something in us. You know, I've, I've got, I've got a, a boy that's 14 months old, and you just see these things, and you just go, who taught you that? What school did you learn that from? And so, John, when he talks to his audience, the brood of vipers, said to them that you have to bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And that's the second thing about repentance: is you have, it has to bear fruits. And 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 it's he it, it said a specific words. It says, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. So repentance is not just a, oh, I've repented, I feel sorry, all right, I'm done. But then then it has to be a resulting fruit coming out of that. And I like what John was very helpful in that when he was speaking to them. He says, if you've got two tunics, if you've got two, you know, shawls or cloth or whatever on you, and you know your brother doesn't have one, give one to him. If you've got extra food and you know your brother doesn't have one, give one to him. If you know you're taking, you know, you're, you're taking more money than you need, stop doing that. Do, do your job properly. Don't bully people to take what's not yours. And so John was very helpful. And then that can apply to us too. Are we, are we used to keeping company with people that um, slander others? It's something I struggle with at work. Because, you know, I, I want to be like that. I don't want to be the guy that's like, always like, oh, you know, Shut up. But we have to realize this. You know, am I doing things that are not honoring to God? Then maybe I need to find new friends. Maybe I need to keep new company. Are we used to, um, you know, spending so much time in entertainment, especially entertainment that stir up lustful thinking in our hearts? And maybe we need to change our type of entertainment. There's nothing wrong with entertainment. But... Is it honoring God? And I could, I could give a list of things that we should not do and then things we should do. And we'll be here all day. And no one wants that. So if we look at Philippians 4, 8, and I find this very helpful. Philippians chapter 4, verses 8. Paul says to them, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, Think about these things. This is one of the most helpful passages that I find in scripture. I really do. Because you couldn't possibly list all the things that you could do and you shouldn't do in life. Things are going to come up in the future that we would not, you know, would be strange to us. When we live in the age of Instagram and, you know, and, uh, you know, social media, you know, I was talking to a friend, you know, Five years ago, six years ago, if someone said to you that people could be making a living off social media, first you ask them, What is social media? Right? But things change. You couldn't possibly capture things that you should, all things that you should do and should not do. But there's there's a precept, there's a principle that is the thing that I'm doing. Is it honorable? Is it does it bring praise to God? Would I be happy to showcase this to the world? Would I be happy? For this particular act that I'm carrying out, would I be happy for it to be displayed on a big, you know, 100 meter by 100 meter screen in the middle of town center for the entire town to see? If we're not sure, if we're thinking, I don't think so, then maybe it's not honorable. Maybe it's not worthy of praise. That that can help us a lot inform how we are to, you know, the type of actions we have to take. So this, don't mistake me in thinking this is a message about things you should do and things you shouldn't do. This is more of a, all the actions we take, every actions we take, should be driven by what is honorable, what is just, what is pure, what is commendable, what is worthy of praise. This is, this is if, we, if we let our lives be guided by this, then we will be fruits in keeping with repentance. And we know these things. And then thirdly, we need repentance. There is a need for repentance. In the church, people say, yes, yes, we need to repent of our sins. And there is there's a general understanding that, yes, there needs to be repentance. But the reality is, are we really serious about our need for repentance? In our day and age, you know, uh, such a message is unpopular, talking about repentance. You know, John the Baptist would have been classified as a, a crazy... A uh, bigoted loon. He would have been ostracized, probably, you know, put in a in a mental health home as someone that is not quite with it. I mean, we we're a society that you know celebrates you know a man that left his wife after twenty seven years of marriage, and we 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 just effuse praise on the man and so what a brave, lovely, wonderful man it is, and nobody asks. What about the woman who has been faithful for the past 27 years? What about his faithfulness to her? What about his loyalty to her? What about his commitment to her? Where is that? Yet, we've exalted certain um, movements in our society. And loyalty, well, commitment, well, we can do without those things. There is a need for our nation to repent. Repent. We, we've, we've gone through a movement. I mean, the, the UK is legally out of the, the European Union. And, you know, there's something about, oh, Britain, we can do it. We can, we can make it in the world. The Bible says righteousness exalts a nation, but sin brings reproach to it. Our nation can never be great if it does not repent first and foremost. The call to repent, it's needed today in our nation. And we can't shy away from it. I love this country. I want to see this country do well. But it's not going to be in technology. It's not going to be in, in military armaments. It's not going to be in, you know, in mathematics and the arts. It's going to be in repentance. It's going to be in holiness. It's going to be in justice. It's going to be in righteousness. Which is things that are commendable. That is what makes a nation great. Out of that comes every other thing. Though so as a nation we struggle... With this word repentance because it, it says to us as a nation that we are not moral. And we like to see ourselves as moral. There is a need for repentance. John talks about it in Luke chapter 3 in verses 7, 9 and 17. It talks about the fact that flee from the wrath that is to come. Flee from the imminent justice of God that is to come. It talks about an axe being laid at the foot of a tree and ready to cut it. A dead tree that doesn't bear fruit. And then this tree, when it's been cut, is thrown into fire. This is, this is a very, very jarring image of judgment. Recently, we, we've had issues with terrorists being released um, from prison earlier on. And there is great consternation in the, in the country. And rightly so, That how can judges, how can people who call themselves judges allow people who have committed terrible crimes to be released into society to even commit more crimes? And it is right we are upset about that. But then shouldn't God, who is far more holy and perfect than an earthly judge, shouldn't he judge perfectly also? We want justice in our country for crimes, but we don't want God to carry out justice. That can't be so. We can't eat our cake and have it. We know know there is a need for justice, and God is a just God. Unless, if he doesn't do that, then he'll be evil and capricious. And so we see that we need, we need to repent so that our sins can be forgiven. We need to repent. We need to turn away from distance that put enmity between us and God. There can't be no salvation if there is no repentance. Sadly, many churches say, oh, all you need is faith alone in Christ. You know, if, you, if you're living a life, have you professed faith in Christ well, if you profess faith in Christ, then that's all you need. There doesn't have to be sort of marks of repentance through your life. You know, you, you could live any of your like as long as you've professed faith in Christ. That is a lie from the pit of hell. It really is. It really is. It's a dangerous thing to say to people. Because look at what James said. James said in James chapter 2. He says, you, are, you say you have faith. And I said I have works. Show me your Faith, And I will show you my works. And I will prove my faith by my works. And then James goes on to say, even demons believe. There is nobody here that believes more than demons. And what I mean by this is, hear me clearly. What I mean by this is, demons know Jesus for who he is. They can see him. They see the spiritual. They see him in his manifest glory. When he came up to earth, he hid himself in human flesh. But when he came to places where there were demons, the demons were like, son of God, what have you got to do with us? Please go away from here. And the disciples were like, what's going on here? But they had no idea that they were staying in the presence of the creator of the universe. Demons see that. So they they believe more than the most professing Christians believe in that regard. But what type of action does their belief engender? Do they love God? Do they say, oh, we believe he's the son of God and we want to obey him? no. They want to bring immorality, evil, hate, death, and chaos in the world. That's the type of that's that's one kind of belief. So it's not enough to say, I profess faith in Christ, but still look to carry out living immorality, living chaos, living in a lifestyle that brings death. The type of faith that we've been called to is a faith that leads to life, that brings forth good fruit sweet-smelling fruits. Repentance is the end goal of our faith. We don't just have faith to say, I have faith. You know, people say, you know, do you have faith? You know, I believe in faith, and people use the word faith. It's what does that faith engenders? It's It's so key to us. It's so important. And I've talked about the fact that our nation needs to repent. But I believe that until the church of God repents, truly repents, the nation can't begin to repent. The nation, the, the people that don't know God, they have no light. Christ says, you are the light. You know, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. You are the salt of, of the earth. You're there to preserve the earth. You're there to show them the truth. But if we're not showing light in our life, if we're living like the, the peoples of the world live, then what light do they have? So there is a need for repentance within ourselves, individually and corporately. We know, we know the sins that we live with, that we condone. I'm talking about sins we condone. I'm not talking about sins like you kind of fall into a you made a mistake. I'm talking about sins that we condone, and we recognize, and we refuse to repent over. In Matthew 7, Jesus Christ says, and every professing Christian has to read this, Bible verses that you must know off the top of your head. It has to be this one. It's very important. If you're a bible professing Christian, you have to know this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That passage puts God's fear in my heart. It does. He's not talking about atheists, it's not talking about agnostics, it's not talking about people of other religion. He's talking about people that call him Lord, Lord. And, and they're not, you see, these guys are not just, you know, they don't just sit down on the pew, you know. These guys are active. These guys are casting out demons, are prophesying, they're prophesying, are evangelizing the gospel. And he's like, I never knew you. That's gonna, that's gonna cause us to take a pause and to just say, Where am I with you, God? Am I a worker of lawlessness? Because that's what that's the issue Christ had with them. They were workers of lawlessness. And what does that mean? Because their life was marked with stubbornly remaining in their sins, stubborn lack of repentance. That's what marked their life. That's why they're workers of lawlessness. It wasn't something they fell into. It's not something that they fell into, repented over. It was something that they knew, were conscious about, and they kept, they nursed in their life for years until they met Jesus Christ on the last day. And he said, you never turned away from your sins. You never let go of it. You, You call me Lord, Lord, but I wasn't Lord over your life. You didn't let go of those things. That must cause us to think, Are there areas in our lives where we've said, Lord, you can have all this, but I'm going to be Lord over this area, thank you. And sometimes I find myself in the middle of of contemplating that passage. And I've seen, when I've been through grievous sin in my life, and and I've said, "Ah, you know, what hope do I have? What hope do I have? And Jesus Christ reminds us in John 6 and says, John 6, 37 and 40. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. This message is is one of the most encouraging things. I'm so grateful that Christ you know, reminded John to write this. Because this is what you call a guarantee. All that the Father gives to me. And whoever comes to me, whoever comes to me, I love that. There's no exclusion. I will never cast out. And everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him, who are we looking on today? Are we are we looking at our goodness as human beings? Are we looking at how much money we've given to charity? Are we looking at how well we were faithful in the church 20 years ago, 10 years ago, last year? Or are we looking at the son? Are we looking at the one who came in the form of a child who grew up as a carpenter and a rabbi and then was executed on the cross and lifted up and all will look at him Not their works, not how perfect their repentance is, but how all will look at Him. He will raise up on the last day. And so when you're thinking, I've got this sin in my life, look at Christ. Turn away from your sin and look at Christ. You can't can't look at your sin and look at Christ at the same time. You know, the light of Christ will overpower it. This is a call to Repentance. It's not just a mere, oh, I believe Jesus is the Son of God. This is a call to repentance. And I will end this with this. It said, in the lyric that we've, we've, we've sung this morning, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there, the one that made an end to all my sin. There is no sin that we have committed in this life that is bigger than God. Because if there is a sin that is bigger than God, then guess what? That sin is God. But God is bigger than that. He made an end to all our sins. So if you're here this morning, I'll encourage you, if, you, if you've never heard this message before, I'll encourage you to, to respond, to turn away from sin to turn to Christ, to look at Christ. Stop looking at yourself. Stop looking at what you've done. Look at Christ. He's prepared wonderful works for you to do. And if you said, I've known Christ for so many years, but I've lost the zeal, I've, I've walked off the track, well, come back to Him. Wherever, wherever comes to me, come back to Him. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You because Your Word is true. We thank you because your word will never change. We, we have no other guarantee but your promises, Lord. We thank you that you've made a way. We thank you that our sins are not bigger than you. Lord, touch the heart of your people. Give us a new, a new desire, a new understanding of, of who you are. And in, in that wisdom, give us our understanding to repent, to turn away from our sins, Lord. i just encourage, if, if, this, if this word has spoken to you today, this is, this is a, a, an opportunity for you to get back on your feet and to run this race. There'll be a prayer team um, on my right hand side and just grab someone around you and pray. And, and, and we have... Life groups in the church and things that we do. We need to run together. We need to run this race together. God has prepared so much good works for us to do. Thank you, Church. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.